Cade Mila Falta. Welcome to the Letter from Ireland show, where we travel in the footsteps of your Irish ancestors, visiting their homelands and telling their stories as they put down roots in so many places around the world. Hello, this is Mike Collins, and you're very welcome to the Letter from Ireland podcast. Now, this week's show, episode 736, is called The Mother and Baby Homes of Ireland. And I think it's something that is something of an experience that's been shared in many countries of the world, especially in countries like Canada and Australia, where the indigenous populations had forced relocations to various orphanages and adoption schemes and so on. Well, here in Ireland, I guess we had something very similar, especially um, in the time following our own independence, and especially again from the late 1920s onwards and more or less into the early 60s, early 70s. In Ireland, at that time, um, you could say that the actual religious institutions were actually especially dominant. And part of that whole scheme at the time was if, for example, a young girl, or indeed an older girl even, uh, was found themselves in a state of um, being pregnant but unwed, often they were actually sent to one of what we call the mother and baby homes of Ireland, and sometimes more specifically what was called the Magdalene Laundries. So in this particular episode, it's a bit of a somber tone for obvious reasons, but I think it was important to share the message. And what we're going to do is share that message, uh, what happened, that story, through two very separate letters. Uh, One is going to focus on the Magdalene Laundries, which you may or may not have heard of, but you'll find out very shortly what we mean. And then we're actually going to focus in on a very, very specific story uh, from a lady of a lady called Philomena who found herself in a mother baby home back, I guess it was in the 40s or 50s at this point in time. And in fact, her situation was actually made into a book and subsequently into a movie that was actually released there in, I think it was around 2014. So you may have come across that as well. So we're going to share two stories. I'm going to say as little as possible, I guess, from this point on. But we are also going to actually choose some uh, highly appropriate uh, music as well to accompany. And in fact, our very first song that we start with now is actually called The Magdalene Laundries, and it's sung here by Christy Moore. Joni was an unmarried girl just turned 27 When they sent her to the sisters Because of the way men looked at her Branded as a Jezebel She knew she was not bound for heaven She had been cast in shame Into the Magdalene laundries When most girls went there pregnant some by their own fathers Bridget got her belly from the parish priest They're trying to get things as white as snow All of those woe-begotten daughters In the steaming stains of the Magdalene laundry.
prostitutes and destitutes and temptresses like Joni, fallen women sentenced into dreamless drudgery. Why do they call this heartless bliss Our Lady of Charity, of Charity? These bloodless brides of Jesus If they could just once glimpse their groom They'd drop the stones Concealed behind the rosaries They wilt the grass They walk upon They leech the light out of a room They'd like to wash those girls Down the drains of the Magdalen land Peg O'Connell died today She was a cheeky girl They stuffed her in a hole Surely to God You'd think at least Some bells should ring But Johnny thinks she'll die there too And that they'll tramp her in the dirt Like some lame bulb that never will bloom When the springtime comes When the springtime comes When the springtime comes When the spring ask you a question. How important is your name to you? Now that may seem like a ridiculous question given the fact that a name is so fundamental to our identity and how we interact with all the people around us. Let me tell you today of just one of the many Irish women who had her name removed as a young girl and who survived life in an institution hidden away from everyday Irish society. Kathleen was 12 years of age when the parish priest suggested to her widower father that maybe she should attend a more challenging school in Dublin. She was considered such a clever girl, maybe just a little rebellious, and it seemed like a good idea to all. Besides, she would be accompanied by her younger sister and not be so lonely at the new boarding school. After arriving at the Sisters of Charity School at Stanhope Street in Dublin, Kathleen and her sister settled into their dormitory and they got ready for school the next Monday. They quickly settled into a daily routine, but after three months, Kathleen was pulled aside by a nun and informed that she felt maybe she had enough education at that point. It was now time to go to work in the real world. Kathleen protested. The reason she'd came to Dublin was to further her education and she wanted to speak with her father. 
The nun said not to worry. She herself would speak with her father and make sure he approved of this move. The nod came a few days later and Kathleen and her sister were to join the laundry section of the institution. Life had already changed for the two girls in many ways since their arrival in Dublin, but they did not anticipate the regime that the nuns imposed on the employees, inverted commas, so to speak, in their in-house laundry. The next day, the sisters were made subjects of that regime. As they reported for work early the next morning, they learned that the institution no longer had a use for their names. And from that point onwards, Kathleen would be referred to as number 64 and her sister as number 63. In fact, given that speaking was forbidden between the girls at all times, they had no need to use these names. Almost immediately, Kathleen's rebelliousness came to the fore. She spoke with her sister freely and in front of the nuns. But this sort of wayward behaviour brought her to a series of punishments, mostly involving Kathleen being placed into isolation for hours at a time. The years went by and the girls withdrew into a narrow mode of survival and routine. Each day was the same as before and they looked out for each other and asserted themselves when the conformity just got to be too much. All the while, their precious years of their early womanhood passed by on the other side of the Magdalene laundry wall. At the age of 16, however, Kathleen was given an opportunity to leave the institution. She was offered training as a midwife at a hospital in England. She left as soon as she could and was soon joined by her sister. She became Kathleen again. She left Ireland hoping never to return. Kathleen trained as a midwife, met a man and they started a family together. She noticed she just wanted to talk to people so much, to hear how they felt and know their stories. She also felt a fierce protective love for her own children, letting them know how she loved them through her actions and words each day. She never spoke of her time in the laundry to any member of her family. Many years later, she received a call from her sister The government in Ireland were issuing a formal apology to the women who were in those Magdalene laundries. Some were held for a few precious years like Kathleen and her sister and others for most of their working lives. Kathleen's children were aged 38 and 42 when she told them about her experiences for the first time. The last Irish Magdalene laundry or Magdalene Asylum, closed in County Waterford in 1996. Catherine returned to Ireland for the first time since the age of 16. She joined 200 other women who attended a special function at the presidential residence. Our president, Michael D. Higgins, apologised on behalf of the state, the government and the people of this country to these women for the way in which they were discarded, abused and forgotten for so many years. Kathleen and her sister were glad of this formal recognition for their experiences 
and that of the tens of thousands of other Irish women who moved through these institutions, silent for years, many now dead, and many more buried in unmarked graves within their grounds. Yes, they were glad for this recognition, and then they returned home to their families and loved ones. For 17 years I've been scrubbing this washboard Ever since the fella started in after me My mother, poor soul, didn't know what to do The canon said, child, there's a place for you now I'm serving my time at the Magdalen Laundry I'm towing the line at the Magdalen Laundry There's girls from the country, girls from the town Their bony white elbows going up and down Reverend Mother as she glides through the place A tight little smile on the side of her face She's running the show with the Magdalene Laundry She's got nowhere to go but the Magdalene Laundry Wow, Lord, won't you let me Don't you let me Won't you let me Wash away the stain Oh, Lord, won't you let me wash away the stain? I'm washing altar linen, cassocks and stalls I'm scrubbing long johns for these holy jewels we know where they've been when they're not saving souls What the red wine spilled, what the smooth hand poured We're squeezing it out of the Magdalene Laundry We're scrubbing it out at the Magdalene Laundry Well, Lord, won't you let me Don't you let me, won't you let me Wash away the sand Oh, Lord, won't you let me wash away the stain? Sunday afternoon, while the Lord's at rest, it's off to the prom, watch the waves roll by. We're chewing on our toffees, hear the seagulls squawk. There go the Maggies, the children talk To our faces, they stare at the Magdalene Laundry In our eyes, see the glare of the Magdalene Laundry Oh, Lord, won't you let me Don't you let me Won't you let me Wash away the sand Oh, Don't you let me, won't you let me wash away the stain? Oh, Lord, won't you let me, don't you let me, won't you let me wash away the stain? 
That song there was called Magdalene Laundry, as opposed to the previous one, which was called the Magdalene Laundries. And the Magdalene Laundry there is sung by Mary Coughlin, or Colin, depending upon which part of the country you come from. She actually, I think, comes from County Galway. And you can hear that accent coming through uh, her very, very, uh, I suppose, kind of uh, musical, musical, Irish musical treatment of the blues there. Poignant song, really, really well sung. Thank you, Mary, for that. Now, we're going to move on to our next story today, and it's one focused on a particular, what became eventually a movie, and the movie is actually called Philomena. So I think what I'll do now is just hand you straight over to Karina. Sometimes we forget that Ireland is still a young country. Only a hundred years since the island of Ireland was divided into two parts, the Irish Free State and Northern Ireland. The Irish Free State, later to become the Republic of Ireland, was created to the south, while the six counties to the north became known as Northern Ireland and remained part of the United Kingdom. In essence, Much of this island is a very young country and we had to do a lot of growing up over the past 100 years. I mention this as many readers asked me for a news report of our recent going-ons in Ireland. On many of our minds is a publication of the final commission report into the mother and baby homes, which were a hidden part of the Irish societal landscape for decades up until the 1970s. There was much discussion on the radio airwaves, apologies from institutions and politicians, and a general feeling of relief that the details behind such a system were finally being brought to light. Rather than simply outlining the purpose of these mother and baby homes and the key findings of the report, I thought it best to give you some background with a story that I published a few years back after watching a fact-based movie called Philomena. So here we go. Given that you're listening to this podcast, can I assume that you have an interest in your Irish heritage and ancestry? Now let me ask you this. When did you develop this interest? For a few of us, it's always been there, and for others, a curiosity appears in our late 40s or 50s, and for a few more, it arrives later still. In today's podcast letter, we begin with a reader who started to research her Irish ancestry with full energy as she approached the age of 70. Caroline Simmons contacted us after she had read an earlier letter on the Great Houses of Ireland and decided to share the following. Hello, Mike. My father told me this just before he died at the age of 96, that my mother was the youngest daughter, Rosemary Henrietta O'Brien, of Edward Alexander O'Brien and his wife, Rose Emily Netterville. 
His father was Count John O'Brien and purchased Corville House, Rossgrey, Tipperary in 1858. It became known as Sean Ross Abbey of the film Philomena fame. I had no idea of any of this and at the age of 70, it was quite a shock and surprise. Edward and his family went to France and his younger brother, Count Patrick Joseph and his wife, Bernadette Boland, took over Corville House and had quite a history there in 1916. Then Patrick sold it to the nuns in 1931 and it opened as a mother and baby home. I discovered this and many more amazing stories and scandals a couple of years ago and I'm still finding out more. My daughter visited a year ago and the nuns gave her a tour of the grounds and house which included the family grand piano. We live in Canada so it's hard to find out if there are any more relatives still alive. Thank you for your Sunday letters and I always look forward to them and hope this is one of some interest to you. Caroline Simmons, Nee Kelleher. Thank you, Caroline, for sharing that wonderful discovery of yours. It sounds like you're just getting started on your Irish ancestry. But let's take a closer look at the biography of a single Irish house, Caroline Corville's house. When a house stands for hundreds of years, it's true to say it can tell quite a few tales. And so it is with the Corville house that Caroline mentioned in her letter to us. There were five ancient roads in Ireland, and one of these was called the Schliga Dalla, meaning the Way of Dalla, and it was named after a chieftain of the area called Dalla, who married a woman by the name of Cray. This road ran through a part of North County Tipperary and over many monasteries and many towns that developed along its length. One of these became known as Ross Cray, named after the wife of Dalla. Now that's just a little bit of history of how Ross Cray got its name. Over the centuries, the local land was ruled by Irish chieftains, Norman lords and English aristocracy in turn. The Anglo-Irish Birch family built Corville House just outside the town of Ross Grey in 1770. Like many of the big houses of Ireland, the house changed ownership over the following decades and was eventually bought by Count John O'Brien in 1858, Caroline's ancestor. The O'Briens were very active in the cause for Irish independence over the following years, with the house sheltering many rebels on the run through the Irish War of Independence and during the early 1920s. However, like many of these houses and estates across Ireland and Britain, the 1920s and 30s brought a new commercial reality. The ownership of these large houses often moved into the hands of religious orders who were more capable of dealing with the costs of running such large enterprises. Corville House was bought in 1932 by the Sisters of the Sacred Hearts and reopened as Sean Ross Abbey, a home for unwed mothers and their children. The purpose of these homes was simple. Girls were sent there by their families after becoming pregnant and had their babies who were then put up for adoption. The girls typically worked in the home for four years, paying off their keep in a form of tenure. The home also received payments from the state to support their upkeep 
and the home also typically received a donation from an adopting couple. During the 1950s and 1960s alone, between 40,000 and 60,000 babies were adopted from religious institutions in Ireland, with at least 2,000 going to the USA. Maybe some of your own ancestors were among this group. Now I'd like to tell you about Philomena Lee, one mother from the mother and baby home, Sean Ross Abbey. Have you seen the film Philomena, which stars Judy Dench? It's quite the story based on the real life experiences of Philomena Lee. Philomena was born up the road from Ross Gray, close to Limerick City. She had the good fortune to give birth to a healthy baby and the misfortune for the birth to be out of wedlock in 1950s Ireland. So her family sent her to Sean Ross Abbey, where she gave birth to a boy she called Anthony. They lived together with the nuns until her son was three, at which point he was adopted by a wealthy couple from the USA. Philomena was forced to sign the adoption papers, and after spending the first three years of Anthony's life together, Philomena would never see her son again. Shortly afterwards, she left the home as she had completed her tenure and she travelled to England where she trained as a nurse, got married and started a new family. Many years later, during Christmas 2003, she revealed to her family for the first time that she had given birth when she was 18 and had since secretly been trying to discover what had happened to her son. Her daughter decided to help and approached a journalist called Martin Sixsmith to see if he could assist in finding the missing child. The only information that Philomena could provide was that Anthony's adoptive parents were from somewhere in the USA. Sixsmith proved to be a talented investigator, but it still took many visits to Ross Gray and the USA before they discovered the identity of Philomena's child. During this time, the nuns in Ross Gray insisted that no local records existed that might help Philomena in her search. However, tragically, all through this time, the remains of Philomena's son, now called Martin, were buried in the graveyard at Sean Ross Abbey. You see, Martin had also spent much of his adult life looking for his family in Ireland, and he finally succeeded in tracking his mother back to Sean Ross Abbey in Ross Gray. But like Philomena, he was unable to get any further information from the nuns. He died in 1995, but had requested that his ashes be laid to rest in the abbey so he could be near the place where he was closest to his mother in life. As you might imagine, it is a heartbreaking part in the film as Philomena discovers Anthony's final resting place and they reunite for the first time in so many years at his graveside. Philomena and Martin Sixsmith went on to champion the right to information for all parties in adoption cases. The nuns closed Sean Ross Abbey in 1970 as a home for unwed mothers and it was renamed St Anne's and reopened as a school for children with special needs 
and it remains and maintains that role today. How about you? Do you have a relative, a friend, or maybe yourself who came from Ireland through the adoption processes? One of Ireland's great singer-songwriters there, Sinead O'Connor, singing This Is To Mother You. And I do like to think that the words and the sentiments inside that particular song, I guess they're the kind of sentiments that people who attended those mother and baby homes or suddenly found themselves inside them. And uh, perhaps the, their, the, their offspring, their orphans, that were actually kept in there as well, would like to have felt 
how they were treated. And hopefully some of those people were treated in that way through the sentence of that song when they went into those places. I, I do hope so, some of them at least. But I'm sure that's the sort of way we all would like to be treated in life. And hopefully life is going more and more that way for more of us. Um, I think, uh, again, today's episode is a quite... I, I hope you found it actually informative. It is a very, very particular episode uh, in Ireland's history that was kept under wraps for many, many decades. And it's a bit like, you know, we just shoved it under the carpet. And I got to say, it's been, it was a systemic failure, not just kind of one institution or another, but in different ways, many of us are to blame. And of course, congratulate on bringing the whole thing out into the open and some fairly fearless people actually involved in, in that over the last few years in bringing the particular stories uh, into the open. So uh, hopefully we live in a society that as a result of, uh, I suppose, kind of uh, films like Philomena, Philomena and um, individuals like Catherine Corliss, for example, in Galway, who actually uncovered uh, many, many horrors, I should say, in the actual true mother and baby home. People like that have actually made this a much, much better place to live in for ourselves and our children. So fair play to them. So if you can actually find the show notes for today's episode at a letterfromireland.com forward slash 736. That's a letterfromireland.com forward slash 736. As always, we'd love to hear back from you. So if you've a particular comment on today's show or would like to give a ratings on whatever podcast uh, uh, player you're actually using, we'd again love to hear from you. So just do take a moment to do that. In any case, I look forward to chatting again next week. So slán until then. If you've enjoyed today's Letter from Ireland show, we'd like to invite you to check out our special membership area, The Green Room. You hear us mention it a lot during the show. And you can find full details of The Green Room at letterfromireland.com forward slash green room. Our green room is the essential resource for anybody at any stage in researching their Irish heritage because it's where we delve into all the good stuff to help you break down those brick walls and really connect the pieces in your Irish ancestry puzzle. In the green room, you get access to online genealogists, extensive research tools, quick win training, as well as member-only access to johngrenham.com and a very supportive, active community to help you along the way with feedback and advice. The green room is the perfect place to be for anybody starting or continuing their Irish ancestry search. So why don't you come and join us there at a letterfromireland.com forward slash green room. That's it for me, but I'll be back next time with another installment of the Letter from Ireland show. And I really look forward to chatting to you then. Slán Gafol, Karina. Karina. <laughs>